When the unsolved cases go cold, they eventually end up in this small room. A heart-wrenching tragedy comes to a family's doorstep. Inside the boxes, the paper's even old. Oh, gosh, yeah. Files where you can see and almost smell the time that's passed. What I end up finding is that these are very small-town cases with limited resources. Most of our cases are from the 80s and the 90s. People have done their best job that they can do, and it wasn't enough. Townsfolk start whispering among themselves and pointing fingers at those suspected and tails lead nowhere. You may not remember their names, but these are the faces of Your hundreds cases of become victims. become tougher to solve. Memories fade, witnesses die. Cops say an unexpected break in this tragic Happened cold case. 40 years ago. Detectives Their cases remain the case unsolved. Up, even though they couldn't tie anyone to the crime. We have there a lot of hundreds of cases yet to be just, solved. We're always a little bit short of putting Rumors started coming in. The stories started coming in from the street. Maybe the conscience just got to them after all these years. So you know what, maybe I better talk. Why would you keep this information if you have it? Why would you keep it? Uh, let's bring it to the surface. This needs to be solved. This season, I'm going to cover a case, for the very first time, that doesn't involve murder. It does, however, involve an unsolved crime. And it's a crime that occurred in the town where I grew up. The explosion was strong. It sounded like a bomb had gone off, according to the store clerk. When she looked up, she saw a little boy on fire in the parking lot. The bike that the boy had borrowed that day lay in the middle of the parking lot near the air machine. Its chain and the hose of the air compressor both ripped apart. Nails and small pieces of metal peppered the parking lot and the westbound lane of Beggs Road. It was Christmas Day, 1984, in the little town of Lockhart, Florida. It was also the little boy's birthday. He was 11 years old. When the Orange County Sheriff's deputy arrived on scene at around 2.34 p.m., rescue personnel were already working on Paul Jewell. Crime scene images depict a dozen or so people around him as he lay on the ground, surrounded by first responders. Officer Donald Brannon, The first officer on the scene noticed pieces of aluminum and bent nails all over the parking lot and the surrounding roadway. The front door and several front windows of the store were shattered and broken out. The rescue helicopter was dispatched at 2.34 and arrived on scene eight minutes later. They had Paul loaded up and were departing the scene at 2.55. They arrived at Orlando Regional Medical Center at 2.59. It all happened really fast. Police taped off the area and the first responding officer quickly began taking initial statements from witnesses. The store clerk and a customer said they were inside, heard a loud explosion, and when they turned to look out the window, what they saw was a huge orange fire billowing black smoke. They said it was about six to eight feet high and 10 feet in diameter. And to their utter horror, they saw a little boy on fire. Immediately, the clerk called emergency services. A 21-year-old named Tony Pitty was on the scene before the officer arrived. His house was just south of the shop-and-go, behind it. His statement read, in part, I was watching TV and I heard a loud boom and I ran outside, looked up, and seen the smoke. 
I began to run faster to the noise and I seen a little boy on fire. My brother was behind me with a blanket. We wrapped it around him and put the fire out. The helicopter came and took him to the hospital. He and another couple onlookers had put the fire out with a blanket and their shirts and their hands, and then they kept the boy on the ground, trying to hold on to him so he couldn't look at his injuries, trying to keep him calm until the paramedics arrived. He kept asking, Am I hurt? Am I bleeding? Am I okay? Mr. Pitty later told this to reporters. I kept telling him he was all right. And this was no small blast. It blew a chunk of cement from the base of that air pump that it was attached to. Bent metal fragments dented and punctured the east side of the air pump stand, and a nearby fuel pump had a ragged gash in its side. It's no wonder it didn't explode. And the bike that Paul had borrowed and rode to the store that day? Metal fragments had broken the chain and punctured its tires and its rims. It even knocked a reflector off one of the pedals. The air machine itself sat at the corner of the parking lot, closest to where Beggs Road and Rose Avenue intersected. Yet the blast traveled across the lot to the store itself, in the other direction. The glass on the east door of the store was broken, and there were holes in the glass on the front of the store and the north side, and more holes in the bagged icebox on the opposite side of the parking lot from the air pump. Fragments believed to be from the bomb would be found across the street and in the gutter of a house in a nearby subdivision. A piece of pipe would be found by the Baptist Church, which is across the street and a little ways down the road. Pieces of the timeline began to unfold as the officer continued to speak with witnesses who had been at the store that afternoon. Several witnesses said that they had been at the shop and go between 1230 and 1 and did not see any type of package tied around the post of the air compressor. One of these witnesses was a 31-year-old male named David Beeler who lived a few houses down on Rose Avenue. When he was asked to give a formal statement later that day around 6.30, his report reads like this. At approximately 12.30, I stopped at the air pump at the Shop and Go on the corner of Beggs and Rose Avenue. I used the pump to put air in my tires on a 1975 Ford Fairlane, gray and white. At that time, there was no package attached to or near the pump. At the pump was also a 1967-1972 white Chevrolet with a dark vinyl top. A white male, around 5'10", with dark, medium-length hair in his 20s, wearing a t-shirt and jeans, walked out of the store toward the vehicle, waiting for me to finish using the hose. I handed him the air hose and he didn't say anything. He started to put air in his right front tire and I drove off. Another man said that he and his son came to the shop and go to put air in their bike tires, but when they got to the pump, they noticed a shopping bag with a cardboard box inside. A piece of fishing line ran from the top of the cardboard box to the post of the air compressor and was tied around the middle of the post. This witness said that he thought it was some kind of hoax, so he didn't touch the box or the air machine. They left. When they drove back past the store around 45 minutes later and they saw all the fire trucks and the police, this man stopped and he spoke with the deputy about what he had seen. His report reads in part, Quote, I saw a shopping bag with a cardboard box in it. A piece of fishing line was attached to the air compressor stand. I didn't move it. I told my son that someone was playing games and don't touch it. This sighting of the unexploded device occurred at approximately 2 p.m., about a half hour before it detonated. To their credit, these witnesses were able to give a really detailed description of the brown cardboard box placed inside a tan-colored shopping bag that had two carrying handles, like a gift bag. The bag had dark brown stripes running up and down, approximately one to one and a half inches in width, and there was a bow, a printed bow, 
in the center of the bag that interrupted the stripes. In the hours and the days to follow, technicians collected fragments from the crime scene and they tucked them into somewhere around 300 little yellow envelopes. The idea was to rebuild the device as best they could, so all the evidence would be flown to an FBI lab in Washington, D.C., where they hoped to get an idea about the perpetrator from the bomb itself. They'd eventually identify several brand names on parts used in the device in an effort to ascertain where those parts might have been purchased. Now, one of the very first problems that would occur in this case, which was unavoidable, was that the helicopter that removed Paul from the scene displaced a lot of evidence when it landed. Tiny items blew out further, some so small it made it difficult to detect. There were even items collected that it was hard to tell whether they were related to the crime or not, and some that were deemed not related at all. In an article dated just four days after the incident, police said that the bomb was more sophisticated than they had originally assumed. There was also talk in the newspaper about using some type of laser machine to test for fingerprints, but none of that could be done until the FBI finished with their testing. And while all this was happening, the entire country was learning about this. Well wishes came from all over. A company in Minnesota called AirVend Incorporated, out of Mendota Heights, offered a $10,000 reward for anyone who had information that led to the arrest and conviction of the perpetrator. His business sold similar air machines, and he didn't want the bombing to give the manufacturers a bad name or discourage people from using coin-operated air vending machines. Days after the bombing, customers who stopped at the shop-and-go stuffed dollars and coins, whatever they had to spare, into a gallon pickle jar. Everyone was just really hoping for a quick resolution to the case and a speedy recovery for the little boy. A makeshift sign written on plywood was propped up in front of Hilltop Trailer Park where Paul lived. It read, Taking Donations for Little Paul. It was made and put up by a young friend of his. She told the Florida Today paper, Paul would peek into everybody's windows at the trailer park and they thought he was just a nosy little kid, but he wasn't. He just wanted to watch TV because he doesn't have one. That's what she was taking donations for, to buy him a TV. Kay Theodore, a cashier at the Shop and Go, said, Paul and his friends were always in here arguing over their 10-cent purchases. I'd tell them, go on now, get your purchase. I'd just said that to him about an hour before the bombing. Now this quote stood out to me because if it was true, I felt like it would indicate that Paul might have been up at that Shop and Go earlier in the day, before the incident with the bike. Or maybe he had been hanging around there. So I tracked Kay Theodore down. And I just want to say as an aside, I almost didn't contact her because she's 85 years old. And sometimes I'm afraid I'm going to bother someone that's old and maybe they won't have a memory of the event. Well, as you can see, not this little spitfire. Miss Theodore, um, my name is Jenny and I am the host of a podcast called Down and Away. And I am searching for a woman that used to work at a convenience store called Shop and Go in Lockhart in 1984. Would that be you? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a reason why I'm calling. Um, I, on my podcast, I don't know if you're... Hold on, let me turn off the TV. Okay. I can't believe this. You're yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd like to see if you'd do a quick phone interview with me. Let me tell you what I'm researching. Do you remember when a little boy, when the, there was a bomb that was put at the store and a little yeah, boy was injured? I do, and he lost his leg. 
Yes, yes, ma'am. I'm researching that case for my podcast, and um, you were quoted in one of the newspapers, and I wanted to ask you about that. Would you mind me doing a quick interview with you on the phone? Do you have a minute? Yeah, as long as, yeah, I guess so. Did you work that day at the store? Actually, it was Christmas Day. Right. And um, I left the store, I don't know, like, one, two o'clock, and I went home, and I was having dinner at the house, and uh, my assistant manager called and said that the gas pump had blown up, and I said, what? Well, she said there was an explosion, so my husband said, what? He said, okay, I'll take you up there, you know, so we left the dinner on the table with the children, and we went up there, and it was crowded like you wouldn't believe. So I wasn't there when the actual explosion went off. Well, one thing that the reason why I was reaching out to you, because what I also did is I went and looked up all the old archived um, newspaper clippings. And I guess they right. had one of the reporters had come in and spoken to you one day um, after this happened. And you had said that he, he came in a lot and the kids were always, you know, arguing over their 10 cent purchases. But you said oh, that with a little boy, right. yeah, he come in with his bottles. To, he wanted a soda. And I'm thinking to myself at the time, I can remember that. A young kid coming out to get a soda. That I remember. So he came in earlier that day and, and you wait on him that and day? He came in during in the morning because it was Christmas morning. And he was getting, I can't remember exactly what he got, but he lived down the road from us. Right. And he come in to get a soda. So that I can remember. Don't ask me what kind of soda. Oh, <laughs> well, you're doing real good so far. I don't. I don't even need to know about the soda. What interested me was that means he had come back later in the day to fill up his air and his tires. Right. He had borrowed he had that. He had bike. To come back after I left. When when we when he came in when you were there was he with anyone? Oh, I couldn't tell you that. I believe he was by himself, but. You know, and I think, and I'm not sure about this, he might have been riding a bike. It was Christmas morning, I know that. Right. And we all, everybody was asking the kids, I mean, what you get for Christmas, this and that. And he was getting a soda, and I'm not sure it was either he had bottles to return or he didn't have enough money. I, It was in that line. And one. Well, I think you're right. He was a, one of our regular little customers. Did, what do you remember about him? Was he, um, you know, his personality? Oh, God, I can't remember. I think he was just like the rest of the kids. <laughs> you know, he just wanted something. What, you know, kids. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, don't forget, this is quite a few years ago. Oh, no. And you're doing good because there was an article that said that he had been up that day to return some soda bottles. Yeah, he had been up there, and it was something to do with bottles. Yeah. And he wanted a soda. That I do know. And so um, you had said that uh, in the newspaper it said that you had said that the little kids would come in together, and they'd, like, you know, argue over what they're going to pay with their 10 cents, and, and, that, and you'd tease them and say, okay, get your purchase and, and move along. And he... And, she, and then you said, I had just said that to him about an hour before. Um, so it, it, what interested me was that it, that would have been the second time he'd been up there. And the, the paper had said that his bike wheel was 
tire was flat, and that is why he had borrowed it from somebody I, to, to bring it up there to know, fill it with air. I can remember something about a flat tire, whether it was from someone else or not. I know, and I pre- I'm so, I was so excited when you answered the phone because, as you can imagine, when I cover these cases from decades ago, a lot of times people are gone and I can't even ask them. And, you know, I was so excited to see your but name. I really didn't answer you. I thought it's someone else selling something. Oh, well, I'm not. Uh, that's not me. I'm not selling anything at all. I'm just, just wanted yeah, to get your perspective on it. And I'm really excited about that. The fact that he had come in earlier that day. And you said you would have, what was your schedule? Did you open and then you left early? What was your schedule? I opened and it was, then I'd have my, I'd uh, go out. And at the time, if I remember correctly, we used to have to check how much gas was in the gas pumps. And the way you did that, you had a big stick and you stuck it down, read how many inches you had left. And I know I'd gone out and done that in the morning. And then I'd left and gone home. And if I remember correctly, my schedule was about approximately opening up that morning. So I'd get there by 6 or 6.30. And then I'd go home around about 1 or 2. And as I said, it was Christmas Day, so I went home. Do you, I was in the house. So it's possible you left when he came in was right at the time you were leaving. Well, I lived... Do you know that area at all? Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Well, I lived on Powell's Drive, which is um, this end up near um, Robinswood School. I lived in that area. Okay. So it takes me, I'd say, 15 minutes to get home. And I, we were sitting down at the dinner table when okay. the phone went. And the girl there the assistant manager thought the uh, gas pump had blown up. Not the underground, but the top part. Right. And when I went up, I couldn't believe it. Oh, no windows. I mean, they were shattered. Yeah, I saw some of the pictures. It was pretty shocking. I mean, it even and took like... was glass all inside on the, you know, on the canned goods. Uh-huh. So uh, what time it was, I don't know. Well, I think it, fit, it was, fits pretty well in the timeline, what you're saying. It sounds like you would have got off between like 1 and 2. 2 o'clock, 2 to 2.30, maybe 3 in that area because I've got to get home. Well, the thing, is, the thing is that the the explosion happened at 2.30. and um, oh, God, I was close. <laughs> you were very close. In fact, there was a, a, a man and his little boy who stopped by and actually saw the, the bomb package attached to the machine around two o'clock somewhere approximately around two o'clock and they did they they didn't touch it they just left he thought it was somebody playing a prank it's entirely possible that you checked him out and then you left soon after that i'm not sure or or do you believe he came in early in the morning when, when i checked to see how much gas was in the ground that was your job you kind of did that every day I know there was nothing on that gas thing there because you've got to put your stick down near that, you know, and take readings. So 
I never saw any package or anything. Well, the the bomb itself was attached to the air compressor where you where he would have filled up his bike tires. Right, right, right. That's where I told. That's where I was told it was. Right. That when he picked up the thing to put air in his tire or something, that's when it happened. Do you think that? Um, so you said that you had, sp- in the newspaper, and your your memory is probably fresher back then, yours had said that you had spoken to him about an hour before it occurred. So okay, that, that sounds... about right. Yeah. About an hour, like, because as I said, I had to get home and, yeah, I yeah. guess it was that. So that would have had to mean that he was up there twice that day, because if it was an hour before oh, it actually yeah, happened. Oh, kids come in two or three times a day. I think if my memory is correct, he lived down the road in a trailer park. He he did, and then one other question. I'll I'll before I let you go. I sp- I have spoken to a couple different witnesses that have seen different things. I'm trying to sort of put it together like a puzzle. And one of the young uh, one of the guys that was there said he recalled seeing a little white boy and a little black boy together pulling into the one of them with a bike and one of them not with a bike. Or maybe both of them with a bike, but only one of them went over to the air compressor pretty soon to before it happened. Do you recall if Paul had any little black friends, a little boy that he would come in and out with? I actually can't remember actually seeing many black children in that area, even though it was next door to the school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't either. That's why it was kind of, when he told me, I thought, wow, that's surprising because I went to that no, school. I've never seen, I, you know, and the little black child in those days yep. coming up there, especially on Christmas morning, that's why Paul stuck in my mind about getting, you know, not having enough money for a soda right. on Christmas Day. Yeah, and that when when he said that, I thought it was strange too because well, I went to Lockhart Elementary across the street. See, I was about fifteen. Do you remember Mrs. Leonard? No, no, there I don't. There was a teacher there, Mrs. Leonard. I didn't she have was, her. Mm-mm. She was so nice. How long ago were you at school? Well, I um, went there, so I would have been 15. Paul was 11 at that time, so I graduated in 87, but I was I would have been 15 right. at that time, so I would have already been into junior high around this time. But right. even back then, I did not remember a lot of uh, black children in the area at all. No, I don't. Mm-mm. So I... I it was trying to think. Well, if you know, if he did come, if he did, I wondered who it would have been. He's not right. mentioned in any of the reports, but you know, I'm just trying to, you know, anything that stands out, I'm trying to track it down, and that's why I was so glad to see your report. It makes a difference because now I have an idea that I'm pretty sure he was up there twice that day, which is right. you know different than what I believed in the originally. So, because right. it was just you remember Lockhart. Uh-huh. It was just a little drive up the road for him to yep. get on his bike. Yeah, I lived a little further down the road off of a road called Armstrong, um, but we lived close to the Hilltop Trailer Park. I lived in the the housing development that was past it um, down the road, but I used to pass it every day. So you, it was definitely you could ride your bike from there. Yeah. Right, right. Very common. Do you remember if there was any problems with, did they come and ask you guys, was there any problems with customers that were upset about anything ha- related to the store or employees? Oh, they come in and ask, like, Mm-hmm. And of course, there was a couple of people say, you know, so and so.
Mm-hmm. Was he there that day? You know, these are just customers. Right. And, um, but it's amazing about, I'd have been, just before Christmas, I was thinking, I wonder if they ever solved that. Well, they didn't. And, you know, when I got the reports, I was a bit shocked because it doesn't look like they really had any leads at all. Usually, once I get a police report and I look through it, I get a pretty good indication, well, it looks like this person is a suspect and maybe they don't have enough evidence to bring it to trial. But this is the first one where, to me, it just looks like they were flummoxed, like they just truly didn't have any clue who did this. I can't believe that was only in the 80s. Yeah, 84. But it seems like a long time ago. It, it well, yeah. Well, it is. It's 40, 40, 45 years ago. It's, it's a while. It I is. I was with the company for, for 30, 35. God, and I retired. Finally. <laughs> so you worked for that company for a long time then. Oh, wow. Yes, for 35 years. Oh, goodness. Did it, I imagine the store was closed the next day. How long was it closed? Do you remember? Oh, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> just closed that night. Yeah, and then for, for a while afterwards, or? No, no, they come in and put windows in the next day. And I bet you it was, we had everybody there that night, you know, picking up everything. And then all the next day, and then that night. And if I'm not mistaken, it was open the next day. Wow. I guess it's not surprising with the business. They get, try to get open as quickly as possible. What about the, the so the air machine was another thing that, that they speculated about a lot. And that was that um, maybe, I don't, do you recall if it had only recently or within the it year? It was not the Circle K air machine. It was put there by a company. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't really remember because I come to that store from another one that I managed. And, um, but it was used a lot. Right. They, I know that um, I, there's some paperwork on the owner of that, and I'm trying to track him down too, but apparently he had had a lot of problems with people stealing from those, you know, stealing coins oh, from yeah, them. breaking them open and getting, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so there was some talk about whether that might have, you know, been related. Yeah, but I think they, at the time we weren't open twenty four hours. No. Um, if I remember correctly, we used to close like at ten o'clock at night or eleven o'clock at night, and then Mr. Jade sold out to um, Circle K, and then when he sold out, that's when they started keeping it open 24 hours a day because at that time used to lock up at night and I would be there going in the morning and open up myself you know and get everything ready for the day right hmm well I think they ruled out that the you know the machine you know the kids that were breaking into it having anything to do with the bombing when you're talking oh, about yeah yeah, yeah. When, it was someone that I don't think I had a quick grudge against the store. No. If they had it done, they would have put it on the gas pump. That's what I'm thinking and caused an even bigger explosion. Yeah. It would have, I mean, if they wanted the store, they could have put it at the gas pump and figured it out some way. If they were smart enough to do that, they were smart enough to figure out that they either wanted to hurt someone 
Yeah, I was I was researching bombers, you know, just specifically bombers, and it seems to be they're always they have some sort of grievance, you know, it's it, it it's not that I found where they're just random people putting an item there just for, you know, but I think they also seem to be people that like to watch, you know, like to, right. to watch the, the, the devastation it caused. And so I was, that's why to me, it seemed like it would have been a local, someone who, you know, knew the area, but. Well, that's what several people said, because behind the store and on the side of the store, really close, lived two families. Now, if there was someone there figuring something out, they would have seen it because they were always coming to the store or out somewhere. So you're talking about the, the houses that were behind the store? The two, the yeah, there's one behind the store, and then there was one on the left. On the left, if you're standing in the parking lot facing the road, on the yeah, left. Yeah, and you know, they were complete. They had people in there. Hmm. So it's a wonder somebody doesn't see something. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I don't. I, it feels too too specific to just be random because there were. I mean, they, they put nails in there. They put pieces of metal in there. It was meant to hurt someone. Right. It wasn't just a prank. It was. Now right, the other. You found the pieces of metal. Right. And nails and that on the down the aisle where the the, the um, can goods were. Oh wow. I can even remember the canned goods being there. Yeah. So those pieces, projectiles, even got into the store, huh? That's amazing. They went into the store and on the shelves as it blew out the windows. It's really amazing that Paul didn't die from that blast because... Oh, yeah. I mean, it was... It's a wonder somebody in the store didn't get hurt. And and that's the other thing. There was no one else in the parking lot at the time, apparently, because no one else got injured. So it seems right. like... The, Nobody got injured. Except for Paul. Yeah. Now, I don't think it was meant for him because no one would have known he was going to come back up. And you know what I mean? He It was sort of a random thing. Kids didn't schedule their days. It was him coming up to, you know, he borrowed that bike that day. I don't think there was anyone that would have known, you know, that he was going to be there and then to plan it. It doesn't seem like it would have been to him. Now, it might have been some sort of statement, the fact that it was Christmas Day or someone who just wanted to cause trouble. It, it is strange, though, that on Christmas Day, someone would put that there, you know? Very strange. Well, and not only that... Just to get one person, yeah. how would they know that person right. was going to come to the store? Right. That's why it seems like they didn't have a specific person in mind, and that's why I think people were were trying to decide whether it had something to do with the owner of the um, the the air machine or and something to do with that. You know, you know, not in this day and age, but back then, if you worked in the store and you was out picking stuff up in the parking lot, you would have picked that up. Nowadays, I wouldn't, but in those days, you would say, what, somebody left here? Yep. And pick it up. And I'm shocked that the that the man, the man that had seen it, um, there were a couple people that saw it, actually, one driving by and Why one... Why didn't they touch th- it? That's my curiosity. Well, the man that was there with his son that day to fill up their bikes before they went out for a ride, he said he thought it was some kids playing a prank, and he told his kid, just don't touch it, and they went elsewhere to fill up their thing. But he didn't say anything. So that's kind of, you know, like, why wouldn't you say something if you saw that, you know? I would. I would have most likely picked it up and said, gone to take it in the store. Yeah, and got blown up. You're right. Yeah, me too. But the thing is, and another thing that's always thought about, if it was there, 
Yep, yep. So where did the kids get the money to put in the pump? Well, there was it, it, there was an indication in the in the newspaper that said he had brought a couple bottles up uh, to exchange yeah, for a quarter. Up with now, yeah, earlier, but I, that was for a soda. I can't remember. Right. So maybe he had a couple more bottles that he had found, and he was going to use those right. to get the. I mean, he didn't. They, they didn't have money. They they had no Christmas tree. They had no presents. In the next episode. I'll discuss a sketch that may have derailed this case. Stay tuned. I'm going dancing this evening. That's exciting. My friends and I all get together once or twice a week. My daughter's coming over to take me later on, and I'm going to tell her about this. Have a great day and have fun dancing. Thank you very much. (laughs) Bye-bye.